My name is Michael Strumsky, and this is my podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. Each episode, I'll interview a person with a different background to try to understand what circumstances, family, or tragedy has made them into the individual they are today. Enjoy. So yeah, thank you for coming tonight. I know it was hard to actually settle on a time. <laughs> Not that on that. No, bro. I'm just glad. I'm just glad you're doing it. So you're originally from New York. Uh yeah, I was born in Arusha, Tanzania. Um, so when I looked at it, it's a beautiful national park. It is national parks actually. It's known for Serengeti, Gorongoro Crater, um, and also having the second largest mountain in the world, mm-hmm. Mount Kilimanjaro. And the native language is Swahili. Swahili. Yeah, okay. the same language. So people always understand. I would say same language you hear in uh, Lion King. Okay. They pretty much speak like Swahili variations of Swahili. Okay. And I'm guessing you used to knew some. But I now... used to. So I I used to be grew up speaking fluent Swahili, obviously. Um, but I went to a British primary school. Um, and basically. As I was pretty much my last year there in school, I was just starting to learn English. Um, and I found, like, they make it, like, primarily a focus. Like, you you go pretty in-depth in English. So I started becoming, like, more understanding. Because I used to, like, watch movies and TV shows all the time. But I started, like, understanding more, like, my last year before I left there. And after that, you came back to New York. Then you moved to Maryland. Yeah. And, and then... then uh, Maryland and then Denver. And then back to Virginia. Good old VA. But to, I guess, really understand your story, we uh-huh. kind of got to dig into your dad's <laughs> past. Yeah, so basically it starts out in... Um, to be honest, like, growing up from the ages of, like, you know, being born to seven, I didn't know anything about my dad's past. Obviously my dad was a principal at a school. Um, and this was in Tanzania, Tanzania right? yeah, he was yeah. a headmaster at a school for like 20 years. That's, you know, that's all I knew about my dad, was like, he was a teacher, basically, like, that's it. He had come to America in about 1995, about two years before me and my brother came. So, the day before, um, my mom, like, was like, I'd known the whole week that, like, we were going to come to the U.S. So, like, we were being, we were hyped as fuck, like, I was boosted as shit. Uh, and then the day before, my mom's like, yeah, like, you and your brother are going. So, like, I was, like, a salty little kid. I was, like, crying, like, the whole way there. Your mom told you a week before? Like, pretty much the day before, because they knew that, like, you don't understand, like, I used to be, like... Looking back, like, I remember I thought it was really messed up, but, like, looking back, I, there was no way my mom could have made it, like, if she had told me earlier with me, like, crying, like, the whole week. Like, I, I totally get why, but, like... So did pretty she, much it was like a couple days before. Like good English? Yeah, my mom so my mom, um <laughs> yeah, her backstory is like pretty vicious. She grew up in uh, a village, literally like a village like, you know, like African village, you know, with like like no running water or anything like that, but um they grew up on like a farm. And she obviously in the time she grew up, like they had arranged marriages, like pretty much mm-hmm. you know, around like sixteen, you pretty much, you know, you get married to someone. But my grandpa kept her in school. And actually, when she was 16, she uh, basically, like, graduated, like, their high school level. 
um, and then she applied for a program to go to school in France. Yeah, so she went to France. So my mom speaks like five languages. She speaks like French. Um, well, she speaks really fluently French, English, Swahili, um, I think German, and a little bit of Italian. Um, yeah, so she's pretty, she's pretty badass. Yeah, but pretty much that day we like, I uh, pretty much, you know, was like crying the whole way. And then we got on a flight there, and it was the first time I was on an airplane, so I was like, Are you freaking out? Yeah, of course. Like, dude, I was just, like scared as shit, because I only had like my brother. So basically, my brother and like this flight attendant was like really nice. She, she like sat with us when it took off, because like, I. And you I, were six years old, something like that? Uh, I was seven. Okay. I was about to turn eight uh, in June. And then, um, so she sat with us, and then we flew to Heathrow. In the middle of the flight, they had, like, they have, like, this, apparently at the airport, they have, like, this, like, daycare place. I didn't know this. For, like, kids that are commuting, like, without their parents. Like, mm -hmm. they actually have an area for these kids. <laughs> um, so they, like, took us there, and it was dope as shit. They had, like, N64. No, it wasn't N64. It was, like, the, what was that? Fucking Sega? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, like, I didn't have that shit, so I was, I was, like, boosted. So I literally started playing there, and, like, I didn't want to leave. So then, but it was, like, it was a, a five-hour, like, layover. And then we flew into JFK, and that's where, like, I met my dad. And honestly, yeah, I hadn't seen him in, like, two years. So, like, that was, like, kind of cool, refreshing. Was so, awesome to see my dad. he kind of headed over in, like, 1994. And no, 95, yeah. He, he went there in 95 ahead and then applied for us there because it would be, like, it's better when you do. Okay. Um, yeah, the whole visa application process sucks, by the way. So, okay. if you ever are curious, you should definitely do something on that. But, uh, so we got here. And then I went to school in Mount Vernon, New York. I first went to Lincoln Elementary School. And then uh, a year later, we moved. So I went to William H. Holmes Elementary School. Like, I love that school. And pretty much went there from 97 to 2001. In 2001, um, my dad and I, um, my brother <laughs> was doing like this summer camp program. Uh, so he couldn't go with us. So, but me and my dad went back to uh, Tanzania to see my mom. Mm -hmm. um, this was like summer of 2001. Uh, the end of it was like August, pretty much the last whole month, last month of August. Um, so we went back. It was awesome. Like went on safari, you know, saw elephants, hippos, the whole nine. Yeah, we're pretty boosted. And then we, me and my dad left uh, to go back. Um, and basically at that time we were like, uh, my dad and my mom were in the process of like doing the whole like visa application still because mm -hmm. um, it literally takes like years. We'd come back and I think we came back, it was, if I remember correctly, it was September 8th, 2001. And basically we came back, it was like, we got home like 2 p.m. Um, and we were just chilling at home. And this was actually like when, it was crazy because the whole time back I was so hyped to, to watch Spongebob. Because this was the like season, the first season, pretty much of SpongeBob, and I'd been gone like the whole summer, and that was like new episodes. So I was hyped as hell. So my dad was like, "Yo, you know, you can just chill. You have school. Like this was like uh, uh, Friday, and you have school like Monday. So the whole weekend you can just chill, kind of get ready. Like because it, yeah. it was gonna be the first, yeah, because pretty much it was gonna be the first day of school, mm. um, September tenth. Uh, um, September tenth, two thousand one. No, September. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was Saturday, sorry. So basically, yeah. a day yeah. before September. Yeah, it was my first, it was gonna be my, it was supposed to be my first day of school of sixth grade. Um, and we're just chilling there. My dad ordered some Chinese food. He was in the living room watching something. I'm like watching SpongeBob. My brother had just left uh, to go to work and hang out with some friends. And then basically, 
we get a knock on the door and like near the living room area so like i thought it was chinese food so my dad was like i'll get it it's so whatever um so i keep watching tv it was like really weird because like the door opened but my dad didn't open the door the whole way like we have he always had like the chain thing on and like i heard the chain thing clank and then he closed the door and then i didn't hear anything else and i kind of heard him talking to someone but you know, but I was just like, why are you talking to someone? It's a freaking like delivery. It's a Chinese delivery guy. Like, what do you know? Like, what do you have to talk about, bro? Get your food. Like, I'm hungry. Get our food. We go. But like, I was just lazy. I didn't want to like get out of the room. And then the next thing I know, this dude like bust in the room, like FBI yellow jacket, you know, like vest thing on, and he's just like points a gun in my face, and he's like, who else is in this room with you right now? To be fair, he didn't quite say it so politely, but um, he did say, who the fuck else is in this room with you right now? And then I said no one, and he was just like, there was someone else who lives here, where are they? And I was like, oh, it's my brother, um, he just went to work, alright, sit down. And then they just started destroying our house, like... And you were 11, correct? Yeah. Um, they just like, I just turned 12, I'm sorry, because my birthday's in June. Yeah, they just started destroying everything, like, I heard them, like, ripping up the drawers in my dad's room, like, tearing up, like, everything, literally, like, ripping... Like drawers out of like kitchen, like everything, like. And you and have I was, no idea. Yeah, like we, I've like literally have like no idea, bro. We just like came back. I was like, we just came back, and to be honest, at this point, my dad had told me about his past, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of knew why, but I also didn't understand why because the statute of limitations for his crime here in the U.S. had expired. Mm-hmm. Uh, or ended, you know, basically it was like there was, it was over, so they, they couldn't be prosecuted on like his crimes committed in the 1970s 70s here. So for me, I was more just like confusion of like how can they do this? Like, mm-hmm. like legally, I don't like he hasn't done anything else since that point. Like it makes no sense. And then that's when they like kind of stopped ripping stuff up. And then uh, literally at the time, like when it was peak of them going through everything, it was like literally like 30 of them in there. In, in our like little two bedroom apartment and then they stopped and then they l- let me talk to my dad for like a couple minutes basically uh, and he just told me basically why they were doing it um, and he said it wasn't it wasn't like because they had FBI stuff on so he was like I know what you see but that's not why it's because of like what happened in Canada like the hijacking in Canada and I was like okay um, and he just told me you know let's get through it and you'll be there with your brother and yeah, and that was kind of like the last thing I said to him for a bit. So what was that like, I guess, that <laughs> night? They took him, um, and there was like these two FBI agents that stayed, one lady and one guy. And the lady basically was like, you know, who can you guys call? That's nearby. Um, my aunt lived nearby. Got, my brother got called to come back, and then he basically came back. Go to my aunt's house. Obviously, this is the weekend, so this is like September 8th, like um, 9th. And then uh, Monday, September 10th, I'm staying at my aunt's house, and it was going to be my first day of school. So I'm in the Bronx right now, um, but I, like basically we lived in Mount Vernon, and I went to school in Mount Vernon. So um, that morning, I get up, um, we're going to take, a, like my brother's going to take a cab, drop me off, and then go to, to his high school. He went to Mount Vernon High School. And it was weird because, like, my family was being so weird to me. Like, I woke up, and, like, there was no TV on. Like, I was like, can I watch, like, Sports Center or something? And they were just like, no, nah, you got to get ready for school. Like, you got to get ready for school. Like, just you have to just go like you can't like I don't know just you know I could like I was like the paper wasn't around it's like wasn't weird it was kind of weird I was like okay whatever so I used to get to school and um I'm about to get out and then my brother's like yo just so you know 
um, dad was in the paper today. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. So, you know, like, what happened to him kind of, like, came out. So just, like, you know, just keep your head down and, like, just make it through to, like, today. And then we'll talk about it later. And then I walk in and, like, it was so weird because, like, every teacher's, like, staring at me. Like, my one friend just came up to me and, like, started, like, hugging me. And I'm just like, oh, like, they know. But I'm like, how do they know? Because, you know, I'm like, I'm like a 12-year-old kid. I didn't, like, possibly grasp that, like, this was actually big news. Like, cause I'm just like, what? Like, why did you, like, how did you know? Like, you weren't there. Like, nobody saw it. And then my principal pretty much comes up to me and he's like, hey, like, uh, I need to have a talk with you. And I was like, okay, like, what the, like, what's going on? <laughs> um, and then he basically uh, pulls me in his office. Uh, he closes the door. And then uh, he's like, sit down. I'm like, I sit down. And then he uh, pulls out the New York Post. He had that in the New York Times, but he just pulled out the New York Post to show me. And the front page of the New York Post was like a huge picture of my dad, like the mugshot of my dad. And uh, he was like, and I guess he could tell by my reaction that I hadn't seen it. Cause like he assumed that I hadn't seen it. And he was like, oh, you didn't know. And I was like, nah, like I didn't, I didn't see the, the paper about it. Um, and he was like, yeah. And he's like, so how are you doing? He was honestly like really awesome in that moment looking back. Cause exactly like an educator is really cool. And I just kind of told him if I need anything that day, like I could always reach out and we can always be there. So then yeah, and then like today, like I just kept my head down. People kept asking, and I was just like, I don't feel like talking about it. And then I went to school the next day, you know, went to sleep the next day. And then I woke up and I went to school. And obviously the next day was September 11th. So a couple months, fast forward a couple months later, before I, I, I moved, um, basically my dad uh, got transferred to Canada for like, that's where he was gonna be charged. So he got actually to there. And then uh, he was going to be having his trial in the spring of 2002. And then, so I moved to Maryland, Silver Spring, in uh, pretty much the October of 2001, like right before, like a week before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I went to, I, I started school at Briggs Cheney Middle School. And uh, that's what you stay with your aunt and uncle, right? Uh huh, yeah, okay. and Silver Spring. How was it like, I guess? You moved completely <laughs> out of New York to Maryland. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, like a three-month... Did you no. try to even explain this to people? So that was the hardest part of when I first moved down here. Because obviously when you move, everyone, like, you know, wants to find, like, what the fuck? Like, who are you? Like, yeah. what, you know? I want to know the new Exactly. Kid. Like, what's up with the new kid? The funniest story is how I met uh, one of my really good friends. Uh, on the bus, I used to... Uh, my, my good friend Jonas, I kind of started to get to know him. Um, and then there was one day where we got off the bus. This was like nothing. If I remember correctly, it was like November. And he, <laughs> honestly, Jonas, looking back, was like very blunt and straightforward. And like everyone else normally just took the, uh, you know, like vague answers I would give about like why I moved from New York. Because like literally the time was like a month after September 11th. People were like, oh, like why did you move from New York? Like a lot of people thought, I think that it had something to do with September 11th. So I feel like a lot of people didn't ask because it was like a month after. I'm just like, yeah, I'm from New York. Like, not going to talk about why. And like, so I feel like that honestly kind of helped a little bit with like mm-hmm. just blending in. Yeah, I'm like, fuck, not questions. messed up way. Yeah, like he was like, okay, you're from New York, whatever. But he just like blatantly would ask. And then there was one day he was just like, I just don't, like, I don't, I, you know, like, I feel like you're always lying to me about, <laughs> he called me out. He should have was like, you're always lying to me about like why you moved here. And he was just like, what is it, bro? Like, I wouldn't, like, judge you. And he was honestly the first person who I was just like, you know what? Screw it. So I was like, I literally told him straight up. I was like, yeah, like, 
my dad hijacked the plane in the 70s, um, you know, like went to Africa, Cuba, whatever, did all that. Um, just got arrested. Like he's in like right now standing trial in Canada and I'm about to go up in a couple months uh, to like be up there for that. And he was just like, you're such a liar. <laughs> like you're such a freaking liar. And I was like, he's like, bro, like you don't have to make up something. If it's something bad, like I wouldn't judge you. And it was really weird because that really made me be like, oh, like maybe... Because you opened yourself up to this. Yeah, like maybe, maybe just like there's something I shouldn't talk about. Like, I guess it is kind of like sounds not dumb, but like fake. And then I have to like explain more. So I was like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm just going to take it as a sign. Like, I'm just going to always be ambiguous as you can be so here. Did you, did you end up ever telling anybody else? I mean, uh, like friend wise? No, not until we were adults, like literally like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. like with you, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, no, didn't really talk much about it after that, honestly. Just ambiguously moved on <laughs> and just brushed that under the rug. So, I guess the way you should handle any emotional trauma, of course. Yeah, of course, obviously, obviously. So let's let's dig into, I guess, I guess how your dad ended up there. Basically, my dad in the nineteen seventies, he was a Black Panther in the yeah, um, the African Republic. Yeah, kind of, and uh, yeah, he was uh, out of a pretty much one of the chapters in like New York, based in like Harlem. I mean, they did, they did a lot of good things, you know, they did like food drives, things like that. Uh, but they're also very vocal against uh, yeah. the injustice in the community. There's obviously extremist groups and then there's people actually Exactly, helping. exactly. So it's, you know, you're, you're corn how you look at that. Um, but uh, one of the things they did was uh, kind of take from, politely put it, <laughs> um, white establishments like banks, um, or lenders that discriminated against minorities, whether it was like Spanish, Asian, black, um, that were based in Harlem. Basically, uh, yeah, let's just say take the money, rob the money from them. Um, basically, one of their jobs was like that in uh, New York. Basically, they had a job, and my dad was a driver, and uh, it just kind of went bad. To be honest, he never really 100% told me about this story. That is one story I've never 100% fully asked him about. Yeah, we always talk about from there on, but never like that day. So I don't. I just know that he was like the driver, and that it went bad, and that he had to leave and escape. Um, so he fled out of New York State mm-hmm. and went to Thunder Bay. I don't know if this was before or after the hijacking, but he was literally on FBI's most wanted. List. Oh no! Yeah, as soon as that robbery was over that day, he was on the FBI's top ten most wanted. Yes, and that's why he had to kind of leave the country because literally. There was kind of nowhere in the U.S. he could be. But um, this is, I think, the best part of the story, even though, obviously, it's not the best because it's a criminal <laughs> thing. But True. During this time, from at least what I looked at, hijacking was actually quite popular during this time. So that was the one thing. It was quite popular in... Um, it was quite popular, but it was not often successful. Yes. That was kind of the Except thing about it. Yeah, they were Diddy very... Cooper. <laughs> yeah, or one. like the, you know, the Olympic game one. But they did um, it for fame and money. They yeah. They didn't do it for, <laughs> September 11th. Yeah, exactly. Like, back then, it was like, make political statements and things like that. Like, no one had really done it. Honestly, no one had really done it to escape a crime. Mm-hmm. Like, it, everything I ever heard about before that was like, they were doing it for a statement mm-hmm. um, or they were part of a cause. Um but he basically was on the run, bought a ticket in Thunder Bay. Um, he just had a grenade and 
also I asked him about that and back then they were very lax with security because I was like bro how did you get a grenade through like how do you just like walk up with a grenade into an airport right and he was like honestly back then they just searched like your bag like mm-hmm. you know besides that they searched your bag you for guns September 11th. literally yes actually but um, it was the 70s was even more chill I mean you could do whatever you wanted pretty much he got on there and then he you know demanded that the plane be rerouted to Cuba so just a few things I know you can tell me if they're true or not from stuff I pulled okay so basically they have a quote here that says think we have fragmentation grenades and a 38 caliber revolver take me to the captain we are going to Havana this is no joke that was one thing I thought was like the best because <laughs> yeah. it's literally summed down to two sentences. There's no like, no there's no to the point. It's like straight to, to the, the point. point. And then the other thing is, you said Thunder Bay to Toronto, which I had to look up, which is a very very short flight. Yeah, so that was one of the things they literally had to like stopped and refueled and everything. Like I think, if I remember correctly, he had to. Yes. Yeah. The other like point. that was part, and that the, that was actually part of the reason why he took a flight to Toronto mm-hmm. where there was a major airport and he, he thought at the least they would have another plane like he was like no matter what he was gonna be on the plane to Cuba that was like his plan no matter you what you forgot the other polite thing he did <laughs> what? Everybody, everybody yeah he did he, he only did. took the, the pilot, pilot and, and, right? yeah, and I think the co-pilot and then he let the the pilot go once when they landed in, in Cuba yeah. yeah yeah. I mean yeah he was that was the point he always said it was not about like he wasn't trying to hurt anyone he just needed to get out of the US so basically, once he landed in Cuba, he was basically the first successful well, Canadian ever. Yeah, yeah, to this day. Yeah, he was. And that was kind of why in, in Canada it was such a like monumental thing. Here, I guess we don't really think of hijacking. We don't really experience it as much. Yeah, but I think after September 11th, it wasn't more, as romanticized as... I've never actually... I mean, I've heard stories about the D.B. Cooper stuff, like jumping out of a plane yeah like, that's still like money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, i mean after september 11th it's more like yeah yeah obviously. i got you it's not rom- you're not you're not gonna find a blockbuster film with a hijacking gone right no definitely not so yeah but when he landed in havana obviously it was out of the blue and this was during very tense like cold war times mm-hmm. and he was put in prison for six months Yes, the um, Casa de Transistos. <laughs> yeah. The hijacker's house. Yeah, he it. told me about that. Um, he said it was first, like, couple of weeks. He was, like, in, like, almost, like, solitary confinement type area. It was, like, a really small room. They just fed him meals. And then after a couple months, he actually started talking to Fidel Castro's brother. Again, I'm like, mm, I don't know how real that is. <laughs> um, but he did, he did have a picture with him when I was in Tanzania, so I guess I have to believe some of the, what he says. But yeah, he says he basically started talking to him because they were curious as to why. I mean, he was being interrogated as mm-hmm. to why he was there. He wasn't, like, tortured, was he? Uh, I think a little bit. He didn't really, he, like, vaguely mm-hmm. passed over that. I mean, he was like, they weren't nice at the beginning. Yeah, they just said they weren't nice at the beginning. But pretty much as the U.S. kept trying to extradite, mm-hmm. that's when, in the U.S. and, yeah, and Canada, that's when they're like, yeah, and they're at tense odds. They're like, okay, so maybe they do really want this guy. Like, it's not just a ploy to, to like, spy. Um, and then from there, he started working with Sugar Canes, and then uh, they granted him um, a visa to go to Tanzania, which at the time also had a no extradition law, um, which is one of the reasons why he went to Tanzania. Yeah, that, I, that's one question I guess I... 
Yeah, like, well, how did you pick Tanzania out of nowhere? Yeah, yeah he went there because... he doesn't have any... There's exactly. no family there. No, he didn't, didn't have any... Family. Well, that... He kind of did have family there, not, not direct family. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing is, because of the North tradition law at the time, it was actually a very popular area for um, ex-Black like Black Panther, mm-hmm. like ex-Paths, basically. Yeah, just like, I think... The Nazis went well, to Argentina Brazil. and yeah, Argentina. Yeah, pretty like exactly. Kind of like the same thing. Like that's but but not for yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, let's draw the line a little thin there. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, he went there. He knew um, a couple people out of there. Like when I grew up there, was, we had like some um, family friends, like who I considered uncles, that were basically from the U.S. I mean, they were kind of like my dad. They were there for that reason. Mm. I've got yeah. a question. How did he get a? like a passport from Tanzania like how did they give him that oh so that's the thing when a country does no extradition you can like apply like pretty much like normal like it doesn't matter like what you did somewhere else does not affect like your status and application here so Cuba like like he became a Cuban citizen at the time he was there and they basically allowed him to apply from like as a Cuban citizen to Tanzania. Mm. So basically, um, we're no, he, no, I'm sorry, he wasn't technically a Cuban citizen, but they gave him like a visa green card, and then from there he could like because he was kept as American citizen. Because this was back in the day when we didn't really have network computers. Yeah, so like, like they were. It's not honestly it's after not, the years over. I doubt they even knew. It's not like I doubt the U.S. was keeping track of him at that point to mm-hmm. where after he left Cuba yeah, they would even be like 10 or 15 yeah years, at that yeah. point he stayed there for a minute um he kind of established a little bit there so he basically um yeah that's when he moved to Tanzania and then he became a headmaster at a and school he was again. like teaching well, yeah he was just like a teacher the whole time until he came back here and that's and you what no he idea, did in Mount you Brian. had no idea when, it, when mm. any of that was <laughs> no I mean like no I just grew up like he's my dad you know just what, like, did he ever tell your mom or anything like that yeah I mean that my mom always knew and like my brother knew because he was older like he's just like he was just like i was just too young to really understand mm-hmm. i mean it was a lot yeah, to it makes sense. tell I mean, like a four-year-old you had grown up kid. in just tanzania you don't even yeah there was no yeah there was no need yeah i wouldn't the even like grasp that probably from tv or some yeah. tv shows you're and that was one, one of the things uh in 95 my dad went to america he uh started sending us back <laughs> stuff so that's when i really started getting like exposed to like american culture like mm-hmm. started watching movies like american movies started you know wearing american clothes it was, it was kind of dope. So in 2001, that's when I guess this Canadian detective started stumbling upon like, yeah. looking at cold cases. Basically, the, <laughs> what had happened was in their area, they wanted to increase their closing rate. Basically, that's from what I was I've told. Seen the wire. What I was told from the, like, literally my dad's lawyer was they wanted to increase it, so they basically put a task force on cold cases 30 years or more. And they just, like, added extra funding to it, apparently. And basically, the guy just got a case with my dad's name, and he just Googled my dad's name. And because my dad was, never changed his name and was in schools, his name was, you know, he had like award recognitions, like ceremonies he had gone to, so his name was like pretty easy to find his name in his picture. And the detective actually joked with my dad and said, when he first found it, he literally was like, there's no way in heck this is actually him because... Like, he must have changed. Yeah, like, he was like, why didn't you change your name? But I always ask my dad about that, too. And basically, the reason why he didn't is because in the U.S., he had passed extradition. He never really thought about. Yeah, if he passed that, why would they catch him now? And another crazy thing is in Canada, there were no laws on hijacking like mm-hmm. it had never they never yeah, I mean, so at the, <laughs> oh, yeah they're like so polite 
So basically, they didn't, they hadn't even established hijacking laws. So I guess my dad never really thought they could do anything with that. Mm-hmm. Basically, the detective flew to New York and partnered with a, a detective in the NYPD. And basically, they showed up to my dad's school with a picture of one of his students that had gone missing a couple weeks earlier. Man, that's um, kind of rough. They don't mention that part. <laughs> that's how they did it. And they basically asked him to, you know, they handed him the picture and they're like, hey, can you please identify this for us? And that's where they got the fingerprint because there was a fingerprint they got from a plane. I think it was maybe a sp- um, We need to know if it was Sprite or ginger ale. <laughs> it says ginger ale. Yeah. But. And basically that confirmed it. And then uh, that's when they were... The funny thing was this was in like July when mm-hmm. he identified the girl, right? Yeah. And basically that sparked like this whole like task force from like Canadian forces and, and the FBI here. And they wanted to pick my dad up in August. They loafed and never saw that he had bought a plane for me and him to go to Tanzania. Mm-hmm. So they actually didn't know that he was leaving the country. So when they, me and my dad left, they literally thought he had like somehow, Bolted. no, yeah, they thought he figured it out. And they're just like, how did he know? Like, there's no way that's, he could have known. That's fun. That's not even yeah, so that's why when we came back, they were like literally. Wait. It was like they picked him up like two hours after we got home because they were like, he like we, yeah, him. like there was like we have no chance, we can't wait a day, like we have to do it now. And you think he was just visiting your mom? He wasn't. No, he was visiting my mom. He, no, he had no idea. Like I was with him, like, he had no idea. We had that no actually idea. Explain, explains his next quote, where the, I saw a couple sources where it said, <laughs> basically when they knocked on the door, he said, "What took you so long? I've been waiting for the knock on the door for seven <laughs> years." Yeah, he did say that. Basically, ever since he came back to the U.S., his when he first the first years back from '95, um, his first concern was that somehow there'd be some loophole he didn't know about mm-hmm. that would obviously allow them to try to to convict him on his past the past. So he was kind of always paranoid about that a little bit. But you know, the longer it went, the more he joked about it, more than actually believed it. So it was a little surprising, I'm sure. It says right here it was three days before September 11th. Yeah. So basically, once it broke. Would you say, like, I looked at what the sentence was, and it was, basically, it was five years he got in Canada, which uh-huh. was pushed down to only a year and ten months. Yeah, so, yeah, in April, I flew up for my dad's trial, and I was there for this whole part. Um, and you were in eighth grade-ish? Mm-hmm, okay. exactly, yep. When, we, when I flew up there, <laughs> like, it was, like, a big deal up there at the time, though. Like, that was the thing I was not ready for reporters like everything and i was like oh i thought this would be like a chill john you walk in a room and we just dip out but no it was like on tv um people trying to interview you not me but like my uncle and like my brother were getting questioned all the time but it was like you know no comment and the reason why it was reduced down from that was basically the argument that was used by my dad's lawyer which is kind of justified was there was no law against the crime Mm-hmm. And basically, since that time, um, you That's know, crazy. like, yeah, there was no law technically against it. So it was like, how can you set a stricter punishment? Um, so they basically reduced it. They used some, they used like the lowest level of, I think, of hijacking they had in Canada at the time as a comparison. Mm-hmm. And it was like, aggra- almost like aggravate, like bringing an aggravated weapon was kind of more like what it yeah, was. Like, like, it was more like an, almost like an assault charge, I guess, what he, they could technically like the closest they could pin it to mm-hmm. and that was reduced even more because like since then like my dad was just like a teacher like he literally hadn't like done anything else yeah um, so they were like yeah they were like honestly it's been like years you've changed your life 
there's really no purpose in us like didn't harshly they, punishing you. Didn't they catch him from an article on him helping out? Like yeah, a yeah. My dad was part of like a uh, hundred black men. This organization in uh, Harlem. Um, that did yeah did like food drives like mentored kids so like he was like literally in the paper a lot but it was always for like yeah like and events. then the other thing what we touched upon earlier is I mean it was I mean obviously he was escaping another crime but a there was nobody harmed well, <laughs> yeah I of, mean yeah that, and that that was the point why they could only almost get like aggravated assault on it because he didn't really not aggravated assault almost like a, like just having a weapon when you're yeah. not supposed to because. That, that yeah, physically he didn't assault anyone. Did they actually see it though? That's so my dad actually said he never had a gun. That he just said that. Um, he told me he just had a grenade. That's what I was told. Um, I think he apparently was lying about having the gun, but he needed to you know make it a yeah. little more scary. <laughs> but I mean, a grenades enough on a plane. But you know, I think that's a little worse. But hey, everyone has their fears. Yeah, and so basically that's how yeah in Canada he went to uh, he just served one year and then. He uh, yeah moved back to New York. How was he that? New York. How was that for you? I mean, after let's say uh, like eighth grade, like I visited him when he was up there like twice. Uh, it was interesting. It was my first time in Canada, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like at the point, like you know, I had to like I didn't. There was nothing else I could really. You know, it's like you're just. What else can you do? Um, it was cool. It was awesome seeing him. Uh, I mean, he was always like in pretty good spirits because it was more like. You know, I mean, it is a Canadian. Yeah, to be honest, is is he went to a prison for like old people? Because at the time he was like fifty, I don't know, sixty. Like he was like old as shit. Like you know, yeah, it was like an old people's prison. Like he had like a little stove. It was almost like a little like camp kitchenette. Yeah, it was like a little camp basically. And he was, was, I mean, he was fine. You know, obviously not doing great, but he he made it through. Visiting him was hard, uh, obviously, but it was just good to see that you know. It, it, it didn't it wasn't worse so you because that was like my biggest fear obviously leading up was there wasn't really a law and because his case was really public they were kind of trying to like at first like be kind of very harsh with what they could get away with so we were always kind of worried so it was good to see that it turned out differently i don't know i feel like i'd be stubborn when i would go visit him but also i guess i would imagine that i would be missing i wasn't <laughs> it was honestly hard to be resentful at him I, when it first happened i truthfully was not angry but I mean, almost when i found out how it happened i, I kind of was mad a little bit for my dad for never changing his name like i just didn't understand that like i really just didn't get that I was like bro all you have to do is change your name <laughs> like that's all you have to do and he didn't so and he was always like a great dad to me he was always acting really nice to everyone so I couldn't really, it's not like he was the kind of person where I was like, you deserved it or you did anything wrong to me. Um, it was just like, I wasn't even born. It was like almost 20 years before I was born. So like, I don't know, I just looked at it more as uh, I just have to be with my family. Cause it hit my family, honestly, I, I kind of didn't process it uh, fully. So I was more there for my family cause it hit, some of them it hit a, a little more yeah. than me. So. Cause I mean, obviously your brothers were displaced you went to a brand new schools. Yeah. And an uncle had to take care of two children. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of people's lives were changed very drastically very quickly. So yeah, that was a lot to take on. Um and that was one thing I do love my family for. I had I, I had a pretty supportive and, and honestly stable life, all things considered. So But I mean, yeah, your your yeah. aunt and uncle must be amazing. I mean, that they took yeah. you two in just like that. 
Yeah, my uncle was, uh, yeah, he was, he, was a, he was a funny dude. He's actually, uh, my dad and my uncle are twins, identical twins. So it was always funny when we first, he first started coming up to school to take me back to Maryland. The first time he walked in, everyone thought he was my dad. And they were just like, like what the heck? Like, what the heck? Like, how is he here? And then he was like, no, I'm like his brother. And they're like, oh. Because it's funny because my principal, the principal, um, I told you about my principal, when he first saw him, like he obviously went in the office yeah, with him. Yeah. And then the first thing he said to him was like, wow. Like, you know, like my dad isn't bald. Like he has like a really full set of hair, but my uncle was kind of balding in the back. And then, uh, so my, my principal goes kind of ham. He went, oh man, like, I see, I see the stress is getting to you, but you're still looking good though. Based on uncle. And I was like, well, don't remember as a kid, I was like, yeah, that's kind of messed up. Like, I was like, that's funny, but I don't think he's supposed to say that. And my uncle just brushed it off and was like, no, like I'm his brother. And he was like, oh yeah, that makes more sense. And I was just like, oh, what? Man. But yeah, it was like a hilarious moment when he used to come oh. pick me up. Um, Cause he had to like, you know, we had to transfer schools and everything. Did he have any issues with that? You know, I mean, you're in Maryland and he's in New York. I mean, um, like him looking like your dad, obviously with the hair. No, um, no, I mean, they would call when I first moved to Maryland. They would, uh, reporters would frequently call and I, I would just mess with them. <laughs> I would pick up the phone like use accents or just be like who are you calling for and just like keep saying who and like they would get so frustrated yeah cause like basically I, I just wasn't you know we just didn't talk about it like you know there was only it was like at the time during the trial there was a lot of people that called but mm -hmm. that was the only thing really when I really dealt with it like in Maryland really after that besides that and once the trial, trial ended everything became more chill a lot so more chill. are I guess you and your dad now Oh, we're good. My dad lives in New York, still. So he's uh, he's the same. He volunteers at a a jail, like youth, uh, some youth kids in there. I don't know. He's still himself. That's fine. Just trying to help kids. That's really all he ever really did. <laughs> um, yeah, and he just chills. Uh, I, I you know before COVID, I was used to go up to New York more frequently, um, and I'm hoping to, I should go see him uh, pretty soon. But he's good. That's good. Yeah. And to go to a. Lighter note of your uh, life. Do you know where you were September 9th, 2006? Mm -mm. I can tell you, you were under 119 pounds. Oh. So. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> because, I know that because on that date, you went against a gold medal athlete. Oh, we're going to do this. Okay, okay. So, I looked this up today. All right, facts. This guy. If no one's familiar, Helen Marulis is a gold medal athlete, I think, in the uh, in 2016 Olympics in uh -huh. Rio. And I think she just medaled this Olympic, too, if I'm not crazy. She's won three national oh, my bad. wrestling. I mean, she's bad. But I she's mean, badass. That's all you Basically, in 2006, uh -huh. Bernard, I, I wasn't actually wrestling yet, but Bernard was wrestling most of his, you wrestled every year, right? Yeah, I wrestled all four So, years. in 2006, Bernard had the luck to wrestle <laughs> Alan Marulis. Oh, my God. And can I see this? Yeah, you can oh see Oh, my it. God. This is hilarious so, right now. How did you get this? I, I was looking for you. And oh, my uh, God. Dog, I was I was 5-0, and oh, so I actually had some hope going into this. And Dang, so, that hurts even more looking so back you, now. So if you look at the details of the match, you were able to last almost two periods with her. <laughs> However, you got pinned by her near the end of the second period. That's... 
You, that's pretty. That's still amazing, though. You Very amazing, bro. She's a beast. World class uh, athlete. You stand in two periods. Oh man, I did not know. I was like, that's five no though. You know, we did. We were out there. We we're trying our best. Nah, she was amazing. Um, honestly, the that was probably the most frustrating person I've wrestled in my life, simply because uh, from the beginning. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, like she was. She was good, man. Um, but that's the thing. Like whenever we talked about her, she was kind of like a superstar because she. Yeah, but it was Helen. Okay, well the craziest thing was honestly before I wrestled her, we had never seen her. So basically, I had no idea what she looked like. I just was, knew that you know there was girl goes Magruder and she's really freaking good at wrestling. And then before we were like walking to their school and we saw their managers and basically we didn't. I didn't know this. But uh, Helen was like standing with them. So we were all just like, oh, like, you know, like, who is this girl? And then my coach like points at her and he's like, that's Helen. And yeah, she was like, she was like pretty. So I was just like, like, that's Helen? Like, nah, like, it's, you know, I was like a little cocky. Um, and I definitely got humbled really quick. And the reason why I remember I hated wrestling her so much was because she was like ridiculously flexible. There was a time where I was trying to pin her. And I remember, I think like her back of her foot was like, I was like almost crushing it and like to her shoulder and like I still couldn't pin her and I literally remember looking at um, my coach, Coach Tao, and he just literally was just like, "There's nothing you can do." Like he was like, "Just like hold it. That's the best you can do." And I don't know with everyone else, like I felt like I would have like broken their leg or something or like I don't know, broken their back, but like or definitely like hurt them. But she just like was just chilling and honestly looking at the clock the entire time, and that was like so painful <laughs> like i was like what like it was almost like she was just like all right i'm just gonna chill here take a quick break and then we're gonna take care of this when this period ends and i was like oh my god like oh but yeah i just thought i might add that in because thanks i always got this guy with me up i, I feel like that's interesting that it was interesting i mean i'm gonna be honest that's a that's an awesome fun fact i even like told some of my coworkers because i think it's amazing um that we even know anyone that like imagine like, i know got to that level to say I know. I mean, honestly, I do say that because I have. So um, that is a good part fact for me. I'm gonna do my wrap questions. Okay. How do you think these experiences made you into the person you are today? Ooh. Okay. Getting 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 spicy. Uh, Honestly, I think they made me value my family a lot because you know, growing up to a lot of these, you know, especially like during time my dad. Like, there was there. I never really felt like I was going through a lot of this alone, which obviously was very helpful. Um, so I was it definitely, I definitely had a great bond with my family because of that. It also did make me <laughs> a little wild at times when I was younger because I just wasn't processing things fully. But, you know, you, you grow up and you kind of mature and you try to move past that. Overall, I think I think it was overall very positive. Uh, it gave me a different perspective. Um, I got the opportunity to go to one of the best school districts in the country by moving from New York to here. Literally went from, like, what I'd say would be not one of, like, it wasn't bad in Mount Vernon, but it wasn't the best. So, you know, there were some silver linings to it, so. What is something that you think your parents did well with you that you want to pass on? And what's something not so well that you wouldn't want to pass on to your kids? Something they did well, definitely my uncle definitely kind of echoed this. They didn't talk like to me like I was a little kid during these situations, which allowed me to be more open with like questions and kind of overall understanding of what was going on. Yeah, so I think they're always very good with communicating with me 
along the whole process, like what was happening, why it was happening, how it would impact me. Something I might not pass on. Uh, well, I'm sorry, family's super religious. Be quite as religious as they are and stand on some things as they do, like fully. So that's the only thing I could have said. Thank you for finally coming over. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Um, you know, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking, I guess, I'm important enough to, to talk about. Yeah, of course. Um, if I if I can look up stuff on your family, then it must be interesting. <laughs> My true. family, I, true, true. I couldn't even tell you. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.